0: You are now tuned in to the Believe Network. Do you believe?
1: Gang, you know, I'm a little bit depressed. Football, yeah, it's over, but the NBA, college basketball, the NHL, they're in full swing. Baseball's ramping up. The only place you should be betting on these sports is at betonline.ag. Bet online. It even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Bet online has hundreds of props with real-time odds on almost anything you can imagine, and it's pretty fun. And of course, the 24-hour online casino. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's BetOnline.ag. Bet online. Your online sportsbook experts. Hey hey, gang, how are we doing? I am so happy you're here. Thank you very much for taking the time. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you listening and following us on social media at all of our outlets at Nick Hardwick. I'm also, we are also at hardwick.life. We love your interaction, the feedback that you give through those outlets and through email. Now here's something that I want from you. I want more of your feedback actually. I want to give you guys exactly what you're here looking for. Topics you want covered, people you want interviewed, questions you want answered that will help you live a better, more fulfilling life. I'll reach out to the people and get the topics covered and the questions answered. So I want to do what I think a lot of times is often overlooked in the podcast game. I want you to tell me what you want. So seriously, email me directly. I'm at, my email address is nick at nickhardwick.com. If you write me, I promise I will write you back. Thank you very much. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Hardwick.life. It's the home of the Lose Like Alignment program. If you haven't heard of the Lose Like Alignment program and are interested in losing weight, get your butt over to the website. We're at Hardwick.life. It's like Hardwick.com, but that domain name was already taken, so it's Hardwick.life. And it's kind of fitting. And if you don't know already, I designed the Lose Like Alignment program for my personal weight loss journey six years ago, and it was the sole reason that I lost 85 pounds in five months. It went viral. There were features on Sports Illustrated, ESPN, LA Times, Business Insider, CBS Sports. I knew my transformation was special, but after countless emails asking for my secret and direct messages and giving it on these one-off occasions. I decided it was just time to package it up and give it to the world. So as of this year, the program officially went public and it's helped hundreds of men lose weight every day, women too. And I'm not talking just a few pounds. We're talking real results here, people. Like John Zenser, who you heard a little while back on the podcast, lost 100 pounds in seven months. Super inspiring. Or Joshy, who lost... 30 pounds in the first six weeks. That's not uncommon, guys. Listen, this isn't a little vegan diet, no juice cleanses, no bunny food. I mean, although if you're vegan or keto or whatever, it accommodates those. We're talking just real food for real people. And if it could be assembled by a former offensive lineman knucklehead like me, I'm telling you, you can do it too. And on top of that, the workouts are realistic. They don't take more than four to 16 minutes every other day. There's no room for excuses. Not only that, but this program easily integrates into a very busy life from the comfort of your home. You can lose weight fast. No expensive gym memberships. No equipment needed. What the hell are you waiting for? That's right. You may be waiting for the right time. Let me be real with you. There is never a perfect time to do anything. You're always just one decision away from real results. And it's not like the program is hundreds of dollars either for the price of a dinner for two. You can change your life forever. Now listen to this. I'll even motivate you a little bit more for the next 24 hours. You can use the coupon code podcast 20 to get the program for 20% off. That's podcast 20 for 20% off. So what are you waiting for? Get over to hardwick.life and use the code PODCAST20, and we'll get you onto the show. Looks good enough. There, <laughs> That's what you do with your hands. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. What do I do with these things? <laughs> Dr. Rob Bell, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. You know, you're the first live podcast guest that we've had at Finding Center other than Jamie Hardwick. Other than your wife. Wow, yeah. man, that's honored. I'll, I'll try and bring it, man. Yeah, bring what you got. Introduce yourself if you don't mind. For so, people meeting you for the first time. Yeah.
0: Uh, well, again, ha- thanks for having me on, man. I'm a sports psychology coach. So we work yeah. with athletes, coaches, and teams on mental toughness. And and I think mental toughness, that mental health connection, is, is really closely knit. Because, you know, mental toughness is all how we handle, deal, and cope with the adversity in life. Like, how do we handle the struggles? And so we cope with it, but, you know, is it a healthy or is it an unhealthy way? I think we both have both of them. Oh, yeah but I think like there's a stigma of mental toughness because mental toughness, we think, well, it's all 100% physical exertion. So it's like flipping big tires. And I think there's a big component of obviously exercise and fitness when it comes to mental toughness, but I don't think it's the end all be all. And I think mental toughness, a lot of times, like when we hear it, it means like doing it on your own. And I think that's the opposite of mental toughness. I think mental toughness means creating that network around you that, it's people that you can confide in that, that allow you to coach you and that you can coach others and, yeah you know being able to raise your hand when you need when you need that help
1: asking for help it's, it's a, a big part it's a super important component are you so, good at that i'm not <laughs> i'm getting better at asking yeah, for help yes and i think a big part of that was the humbling experience of getting out of the nfl and not knowing what the hell i was doing and, and having a rock bottom moment in my life and having to reach out to bosses at the radio station and saying, hey, things aren't good in my life. I'm emotionally a mess right now. I'm having a very difficult time, suffering some depression, and I need help, right? Or reaching out to my wife and saying the same thing. So when you break a big barrier, like that's a big barrier to go, I'm depressed, I'm screwed up right now. I need help. I think when you do that, then it gets easier to ask for help. And I think guys naturally are just awful at asking for help. Oh, yeah. Right? We did. It's like... The map may be there, but I don't need the map. I'm not going to look at my phone. I'm not going to ask for directions. Why would I want directions? Yeah, right. Yeah, I don't need your help. So the tenants in our the Hardwick family house, tough, hardworking, respectful. Tough is really not physically tough. Although, like you said, I think that's a big component to it. When you say toughness, just define that for me again. What do you mean and how does that shape into kind of modern man
0: yeah i mean it's you know so one in the athletic world right i mean i think the reason why i love athletics is so, so much is because there's no ambiguity at all mm-hmm. like you make the kick or you miss it right yes like that's the part that we love yeah and it will you know was it's very it's, clear very was clear. good enough
1: to win that match or it was not good yeah enough. yeah in life
0: you know, there's so much ambiguity, you know, it's like, well, all right, I got that deal, but it's somebody I don't want to work with. So was that successful or not? You know, it's like, right. Oh, okay. Well, I got a whole bunch of money, but then I've got a cocaine habit. So is that really successful or not? You know? Yes. So um, the reason why I say that is because the one part is how well we perform under pressure.
1: Okay. And that's a big part of it. Yes. And and I think that's how athletes define themselves. Yeah. Is when the big moment comes, do you rise to the challenge or do you not? Yeah. And a lot of times I think it's you fall to the level of your training.
0: And, yes. um, and then the other part of just the toughness, man, is how we handle the adversity, the setbacks, and the struggle in life. And that is a matter of when, not if. Because adversity is definitely sneaky. You know, everybody's demon, I think, is a little bit different. And it's, you know, who we compete in, And that's why I always say, like, everyone's an athlete. Our office is just different. Yes. So no matter what, I mean, you're still an athlete because as an athlete, we're competing. And we're competing against the most difficult opponent. You know, that opponent that if we're playing one-on-one and your opponent knows what you're going to do before you do it, it's tough to beat that opponent. And that's our own mind. That's right. And so that's the part of, you know, when I wake up in the morning, the very first thought is, Rob, you're not training today. You don't have to run until you get up and you get the action going. And then it's like, of course you're running like that's what you do and you create those habits so it's like uh that's all mental toughness is man. it's just how we handle that adversity
1: so how do we create that to where you can silence that voice that creeps in in the morning how can we stop that where we go down the worst path outcome or we say i'm not going to run today i'm not going to train today today's not my day i'm not feeling good how can we Subdue so that voice and raise the other voice that say says yes, I am going to.
0: So this is the part where I'm a little bit off, like in my thinking and how I do it. I think we have to create adversity in our lives. Yes, and I think we do that. I mean, I do it through ultra marathons, you know, Ironmans, because I love pushing myself like that. How many of you run? Uh, I mean, I, you know, the hundred miler this year got canceled, so I've got a fifty k that's coming up. I've done one Ironman, um, you know, several ultras, but. 50 as yes. long so far. Yeah. But it's when you set that goal. So I think you have to have that goal you, you're you going for. It. Yes. And then you create the habit and the habit of, because it's weird to me when it's like people don't exercise. Like, a, like what do you mean you don't exercise? It's not even part of your life. Right. Like that's very strange. It is. Yes.
1: Yeah. Because the people you surround yourself with exercise. Yeah. I they mean, to that the utmost uh, well. degree. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah.
0: And, um, And so I think you got to have that goal, but I think we got to create things that are difficult in our lives. I think we have to challenge ourselves every day, whether it's making that call we don't want to make, talking with a parent that we don't want to talk to. So a lot of times mental toughness is doing the things you don't want to do. Yes. And so once we encounter something that we don't want to do, there's there's the adversity, and then the battle begins. How well do I approach that? Do I shy away from it? Do I not want to do it? Do I put it off? And the more and
1: more that we get better at it, and then facing it, the better we get a handle in it. And we're more confident that we're going to be able to quiet that voice down or we are going to just get out of bed and make be it, that man. happen. And then eventually you just know you're getting out of bed regardless yeah. of what you feel like. And you're going to get the work done that's necessary.
0: And that's why I think when pandemic hit and quarantine hit,
1: what it did is just revealed our level
0: of the habits that we already had built up. You know, I mean... Boy, when quarantine hit, there wasn't much different in terms of when you get up and you go run. You know, we get up and train. Yeah, the location different because everything got shut down. But it revealed our level of toughness, and that's what adversity sometimes does. It's
1: going to build it. That's why I think we got to create those situations that are tough. So when we're training athletes, or when we're working with our own children, or when we're coaching at whatever level we're coaching at, how do we create the adversity? And I think some of the best coaches that I know create really competitive environments mm-hmm. at the their own facilities and they really encourage that type of competition and that adversity in-house so when you step onto the actual competitive field that that's where you've already met adversity you've already seen it you've already struggled in practice against your own peers and now we're going against another group of men or women and ready more for adversity
0: yeah I totally agree. I mean, I yeah. think that competition environment, if it's, if it's looking at the coaching relationship or even parent relationship, um, you know, it's tough to sometimes create that because it's just difficult, right? You mm-hmm. got to get really creative on how you do it because you want to create situations where they can be successful, but the adversity is still built in. That's why I think a lot of that power is in the debrief. You know, after the events happen. Okay. You know, what do we, we learn from the situation? You know, because... It's not like, and the reason why I'm so passionate about sports as well is because it's not like I ever want my kid missing a five foot putt, you know, to lose a tournament. I never want a kid striking out with the bases loaded or missing a field goal. I never want that. It hurts. It does. It hurts. It's It's hard to watch. Yes. But you let me know, well, where else in life can you get that lesson at 13 that you want to get it at 13? You need that because then it becomes a teaching moment in terms of, and that's where it's like, hey, Okay, now what?
1: Yes. Where do we go from here? Right. I mean, yeah.
0: is that it? Are you going to hold on to this one? Or are you going to bury it and we're going to move on and get better? Because you're going to be in that situation again. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I've never met anybody that hasn't like failed really traumatically. You yes. Know, in high stressful environments. That's right. So, you know, do we want them learning these skills when they're 13, 14, or do we want them learning when they're 26, 27 and now they're you are rushed? Yeah. Now you got a lot more on the line. Yeah. And so, I think it's in the power of that debrief, as as parents, as coaches, that there's so much power
1: in that. So, what does the debrief look like from first, from a coaching standpoint, after a big, epic loss? Yeah. Or one individual player has a complete meltdown. What does that look like? What should it sound like? What does it feel like?
0: <sighs> That's a tough
1: one. Man. It's
0: hard. You know, people ask me, "What do you say to an athlete that you know?" What would you say to somebody who just missed a kick, you know? And I always say, well, what would you say to them? Right. It is not. There's nothing you can do to take away the pain. Yes. So I think of it as parents. As parents, right? We want to take away that pain. We don't want them to suffer with that pain.
1: You want them to feel better immediately, right? Then you you know? feel better as a parent.
0: Yeah, and it's fine if it's you know after every game we go to Chick Fil A. That's fine, right? Okay. But it's not like okay, well now we're gonna go to Chick Fil A because yet something bad happened gotcha so it's you you keep doing the same thing the habits that you've got and then you um i always think in the debrief it's just being able to ask good questions okay you know because i can't tell an athlete what you're supposed to feel i have an idea and it hurts yes but you know what and and after the we want to always address it to when the emotion's still high and that's really tough right yeah you got to, I think, let we got to be uh, talk about all stressful environments and non-stressful situations. Okay. And so after everything's settled, being able to ask, you know, what did you learn? You know, where did your mind go in that? Okay. Um, hey, what, what could you do different next time? And it's just, you know, ask the questions and be able to figure out where their mind was and what they thought about it. And if they're honest with themselves, that's the tough part, right? If they're honest that's with hard, themselves.
1: hard, especially the younger they are because they so may either, not man. even recognize the emotions that they were having at the time.
0: Yeah, it's like, yeah, I was focused on shooting that score. I was focused on making it instead of my process. And there's there's the lesson. And yeah. There's the
1: golden nugget. So getting out of the pressure environment to talk about the pressure pressure situation how long after does it require how long do you sit with it how long or do you let them come to you and bring it up again first you know i think that's one of the great things that i've seen some of your posts like you you're probably handling this car ride home yeah. like i always thought the juice and being a kid was riding to and from practice with my dad And all the things that he gave me in the car ride on the way there and back. And sometimes it was 45 minutes, sometimes hour and a half. Sometimes we'd be playing hockey up in Canada and it was an 11-hour ride. But I got a lot of juice out of those moments right there. And that's the one thing you, as a parent, you certainly don't want to mess up is that car ride. When I get back to the car, when we get to the car, what's the first thing I say? (laughs) We <laughs> we're
0: going to Chick Fil A, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I
1: mean, that's it, man. We're going to Chick Fil A. Should it be something rewarding after work that you feel like? I mean, in anticipation that you know there's going to be something that comes up down the line that it's man, it was a bad day at practice. Man, it was a bad day on the the game. Should it be something that's a little elevated over kind of your routine? Hey, we come home and we really cherish our. Home meals here? Should it be something above and beyond that so when there is that bad day, it's... We get that time, say, at Chipotle. Yeah. That it's our little debrief moment.
0: I think whatever it is, you just got to establish it and it becomes part of like a family tradition.
1: Yeah.
0: Because the one part is, okay, you play really well. Now we're going to go to Chick-fil-A. What happens is, is... Okay, well, when they play bad, I'm not. That means, well, I'm not good enough. And then it becomes... They're looking at their whole identity as in I'm only valuable when I play well. Right. That becomes a real dangerous situation. Yes. So I think the first thing is, is man, well, hey, this is where we're going. Um, I just think the debrief. I mean, it's you know, as a parent, and you know this. I mean, the emotions. I get so wrapped up in like how my kids doing. If it's another kid, um, it's, I'm more objective. It's much easier to yeah, stay objective. much more calm. Yes. And. I've always asked this, like, why are we hardest on the people we love the most? Yeah, what is that? I think we because I think as parents, like we, we know we see the answer sheet. Yes. Like we know what the answer is. Yes. Answer C here, just write C. <laughs> well, they don't want that. And that's not how you learn the lesson. Yes. And um I think we want to slide an answer sheet and be like, here's what you need to do. I gotcha. They don't learn the lesson that way. Yes. And so it's um I think and what we do in our house is we just we we have a, a point of at dinner that night. That's when we're going to talk about. And I get to ask any questions. You get to give me feedback. See, the thing is, is I think on the car ride home, if it's you know if it's bad, you're not going to get much out of your son or daughter. Right. So then you're beating your head about it. But like, why don't you just tell me what you're thinking? Yes. And and it's just accusatory and stuff like that. And what it really keyed on to me, even though I wrote the book on it. I had one thing I needed to say to my daughter. It was just one thing after the soccer game. My wife was like, "You know the rule." You had to say it though. But I had to say it. And this is how. This Where's is Where's impor- the one
1: that you had? Oh, here it is. Yeah. Yes. This is how important it was.
0: When I got don't, home. Don't don't should on your kids. Yeah, don't say that one fast. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right.
0: But when I got home to tell my daughter this one thing, it was so, so provoking, so
1: mind-shattering that I forgot what it was. I totally forgot. Yeah. And that's
0: how important it was. Yeah.
1: I have to tell her this. Yeah. yeah. And, I have to get this. And I, I do feel like part of it is just in that car ride on the way home. It's making us feel better. Yeah. Uh, for whatever reason, whatever pressure, or tenseness that we have. It's like, I have to say this because I'm so concerned about your future based on one third grade football game and your behavior there. Even though I know you didn't get a great night's sleep the night before, you may be feeling under the weather. I have to tell you this because if I let this slip, then you're going to be a mess by the time you're 25. Yeah. You struggle with this on your own, even with your son? I
0: mean, I I do. I I just, um, and I think that's it. It's just because we see the answers. Yeah. See the answers, what we need to do. And it's the way I do a good job is when, um, when I'm, De-stress and decompress and kind of away from it. And yes. then now we can talk objectively and just be able to ask good questions.
1: Come back to it and have better perspective on the whole situation. And you're not caught up in the emotions of it. Emotions like alcohol. You bring tequila to that party. At some point, it's
0: bad. It's going right? to erupt, yes. And uh, and it's too much emotion with the kids, man. Yes. And that's where it's just like you know, all those important conversations I heard this one from Jeff Van Gundy. He said we always talk about all stressful situations in non-stressful environments, and we're going to get more back from them. And
1: yeah, now when I'm coaching high school football, this is a really interesting thing for me, just personally. And I know there's other people out there who are coaching, and it's a really tense situation. Just in general, the game in general is, let alone if somebody gives up a sack or if we can't run the ball or whatever problems we're having and little moments of adversity there, how? what's the new thought on coaching on the sidelines? Because I've been a part of it all. I've been a part of coaches coming over and ranting and raving and slanting, slamming clipboards down on the sidelines and busting things up and kicking and trying to get their players going. And I've been a part of coaching staffs that said, or been coached to by guys who said, look, you got enough going on on game day. I'm not going to add fuel to the fire. And then I've heard like new sports psychologists will say, if a coach pops off on a player, that player sees red, something happens in the brain. And for 15 minutes, they're going to be affected by that coach yelling. What's, What's the truth and what's the roadmap for success at those really adverse moments?
0: It's a great point. So I think, boy, I think it was
1: probably like 15 years when Coach was yelling at me, man. I was, I was too
0: sensitive, to, you know. Was uh, when things were great, I was great. When things were bad, I was awful, I and mean, I was I was the worst kind of athlete that coaches want. Right? Gotcha. Who's showing up today? Yes. Taylor Swift or Lady Gaga? We don't we don't know, <laughs> man. You know, you want that consistent player. That's I, right. I think the part is is the players have to know that they're valued as individuals outside of how they perform. Yep. Yeah. I think that's the base. I think that's where the foundation gets built. Gotcha. Because if you know that I care about you and that I'm going to be challenging you and pushing you to get better, um, I think we receive it better. Yes. And so then coaches have to go above and beyond that in terms of practice, in terms of – and coaches, I think, are the most important people in society today, without a question. Yeah. You know, I think as coaches, we give them a latitude to
1: be able to coach our kid, be able to teach our kid. At a time, too, when a lot of kids, especially as they get into high school and the hormones are hitting and there's push away at home, I've always described it from my own experience of being like a lion cub that's trying to find his own ground and dad doesn't know anything. And get the hell away from me. You know nothing. You've never lived this life. And looking back, of course, he knew a lot more than... Yeah, right. What I give them credit for, and I <laughs> wish I would have given him credit, but that's going to happen to me too. My little lion cubs are going to grow up and hit puberty and need a coach to step up and be that male figure in their life. Yeah.
0: It, it, once once they know that you care about them as a person, then they know what you care about. You know, we always hear that, like they don't, they don't care what you know until you know what they care, but once they know that you care, they care what you know. Yeah. And then it's... Um, you know, obviously, I mean, I think... I like that. Yeah, it's a good one. i got plenty of them, man. Yeah. You know, we can keep it going. <laughs> um, I'm, a, I'm a quote hound, but um, they just got to know that you value them as an individual outside of their performance.
1: And for the kids, for your own children, too. Yeah. I think that's... So how do I combat them associating my love as a dad with their performance, so I'll give you a story. We were at football three weeks ago, four weeks ago, and it, it absolutely broke my heart. Hudson had a tough day for whatever reason. He was kind of moping and he was crying. And I got back to the car and I was like, what's going on, man? Like, what, what's the deal? I, I just I want to understand what you're going through here. And it took the whole car ride home. And eventually I was like, can you just help me understand a little bit more of what's happening here? That's a good question. And he said, he goes, Dad, I just feel like there's so much pressure for me to live up to what you've done, and I'm never going to get there, and I don't know how. And I was like, of course, I was heartbroken. I was like, Jesus, what have I done to my kid at the moment? And then we rallied later that night over our prayer in bed, and I, I basically said to him, I said, and regular podcast listeners have heard this i was like hey dude i'm 39 you're eight all you have to do is find a way to get slightly better every single day and i promise you're going to be better than me at whatever you choose to do but the hard thing that i i want to watch is him express joy and it looks like on the football field it's just so daggone serious all the time and i know it's a serious sport by nature and i know it it hurts and it's scary and it's all that. I, I know all the emotions, but I think there should still be a joy. How do I, as a parent, help him remove the pressure that at eight years old he's feeling and shouldn't be and bring some joy back into this thing? And maybe football is just not the thing.
0: You got to use your questions, man.
1: It's tough, right? It's hard, yeah. That's where it's we got
0: to keep the the main thing, the main thing, I think we got to keep the big picture there. What are the lessons that he's going to get from football? Yeah. You know, and all the life lessons he's going to get, it's going to be great. Oh, and there's a crazy amount. Yeah. And the fact of like him being able to express it though, that's pretty awesome as an eight year old to be able to be in touch with that stuff. That's true. And that's, I mean, that's that adversity that we have to go through though. You know, it's like, I think his parents, man, it's just, um, Keeping that stuff in perspective because it's one thing if we talk about the game and then kind of debrief it and then we go to a movie, right? Yeah. It's another thing if, okay, now we're going to talk about the game. Now we're going to watch the game film. And then next morning I'm going to ask you, what you what are you, what are you doing today to get better? And then that night, hey, you know, did you do this? And, you know, well, Herschel Walker did this. And, you know, then it's bringing it up and then it's their whole identity. Oh, Yeah. You know, and that's yep. the piece where it's like, look, this has to be one little part of the conversation in terms of our whole family. And um but I think once once they kinda you know get that, this is just something we do. Uh want you be great at it, but it's up to you in terms of what you want. What you your know? level of greatness is gonna yeah. be.
1: Yeah, that's really good advice. Yeah, it's because it does tend to lend itself to that, right? It's like this is what we're doing now, and then you find your hero whoever the hero is, and well, do you think J.J. Watt would be doing this? Or, you know, you do yeah. throw those things into the conversation. Yeah, yeah. So and and that's, that's right. And it's just an unidentified, really slippery slope for parents and kids to get into.
0: And that's the piece. Like, people forget
1: J.J. Watt was delivering pizzas. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's right. He was delivering
0: pizzas, shows up, and be like, well, you're J.J. Watt, like, why are you delivering pizzas? Yeah. And it was that moment that then, you know, he went back and enrolled, and you know, became lineman, I everybody does in. and
1: everybody has a story like that yeah every person I know has a story like every person that I played with in the NFL except for a few exceptions who were just wildly talented from an early age and could dominate everybody like Patrick Mahomes even he had a moment of minor adversity where they thought other quarterbacks was and, were better than he
0: yeah and then and then his thing is going to be different because I mean he's so good right it's like the comparisons to every great quarterback that's ever happened and, and how is, I mean, think about it, like right? LeBron still, they still talk about LeBron's legacy. Yeah. And how he's got to win this one. to really cement the legacy. Right. That stuff never ends. Yeah. It one never more. Ends. Yeah. If
1: he does it one more time. It never ends.
0: That's and, true. And it's, uh, I don't know about you, man. I think one of the best gifts that we can be given, that we can't give our kids is for somebody to be able to tell them you're not good. There's no way you can do that. That's a dumb idea. Yeah. You want to open up ice cream shop? Are you are kidding me? Um, every moment, everyone that was been successful was told that at some point because yes. it's a Fisher Cup bait moment. It's like, well, I'm gonna agree with that voice or that coach or that teacher that says I'm not gonna amount to anything, or I'm gonna really agree with myself and that's gonna be, um, you know, a motivating factor. Yeah. People will say, hey, it's proving people wrong, and I, I admit. But it's really about, I think, proving yourself right and how good you can be. Yeah. So I think unless we don't have that, then we don't really know. Because, you, I mean, how many great athletes, man, that they've been pat on the back their whole lives, told how great they are once they get to college? Well, now they're not even the best. Or if they do go to the pros, well, now everybody's great, yes. man. And you don't know how to deal with that adversity.
1: That's right. Yeah, and I will agree that most guys who have been told how great they are, when they get there, they collapse. And they're not still trying to prove, I mean, we still hear stories of Tom Brady trying to prove that he wasn't a six-round quarterback, or Drew Brees is too small, or everyone's got something that they're still, and it's remarkable to me that those guys can still hold on to those thoughts, even after all this success and all those years, because for me, I'm like, isn't the goal to (laughs) to let go of the past, but they use it to fuel the performance, and to fuel the work, and all that it takes to have the continued success. It's really remarkable, but part of me is, feels bad for him. Like, damn, they're just holding on to that from the time they were like 14 years old. Yeah.
0: And, and that's the piece of like, you know, when Steve Smith, when he shattered his knee, mm-hmm. right, he was retired at the end of that year. He's in his uh, hospital room and he's reflecting on his career. Yeah. The only thing he thought about were all the drops he had. That's crazy. For 10 years. Yeah. I was like, really, man?
1: And isn't that wild?
0: Yeah, because the negative far outweighs the positive, right? We're always going to think about the game we lost oh, yeah. and the one we won. Yeah. But it's like um, until – and, man, that's an emotional guy. always, yes. Always told him you what you yes. did. But then when that game was over, I mean, there was struggle for him because we got to be able to transition that into, you know, proving ourselves right and being good enough. Because if we're always – if we're never good enough, then that goalpost is just going to move. Yes. And I think it's – you know, they're at definitely that edge of knowing that you are good enough, uh, but you're a worthwhile person.
1: Yes. You know, it's not going to. Yeah, and I think that's that's the huge part that I've tried to learn and adopt is fueling myself, but also understanding that what I am currently is good enough, but I still strive to be better tomorrow. Mm-hmm. That I still by the time I'm 40, I hope to have checked off a couple more boxes and to continue to succeed and continue to make myself proud and in a weird way continue to make my mom and dad proud and my boys and Jamie proud, right? Like there's all those things you still want to do, but also realizing I'm good enough. I've done enough. I'm happy, I'm content. It's but what a what a funny line. But I do think when you're in the wildly competitive space of Pro athletics, that you have to fuel that fire, yeah. and I don't think contentment is probably a good thing.
0: If if you uh, watch Michael Jordan's Hall of Fame speech, first ten minutes are still about Buzz Peterson. You, know, <laughs> you motivated me when I got to still North Carolina, it. yeah, because you were you know Player of the Year, and that wasn't going to happen, right? Um, yeah, I mean it's it's definitely that edge, and, and there's like you know, the part about success and then it's about significance. And that's where a piece where I'm looking at, it's like, you know, how we make a difference in other people's lives. Yes. That's the real meaningful thing.
1: Yes. And that's, is that where you're headed to now? Is that, where's your head at now with sports psychology? And I mean, when you talk about making a difference in other people's lives, I think immediately of playing for others. And if you're an athlete playing for others, but if you're, in business, doing it for others and helping spread whatever good vibes you got going on. Hey guys, I wanna give a brief moment to talk about our newest sponsor, eBay, whether rear dead stock or the latest release, you can find the exact shoe you're looking for. You can find anything you're looking for at eBay, really. I find all of my technical equipment there for the podcast a lot of workout equipment, but as the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop the pair you've been eyeing with eBay's authenticity guarantee. Your sneakers are meticulously inspected by the independent professional authenticators, a team of experienced sneaker authenticators, verify the box logo stitching and dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity and it protects sellers with a verified return process. And for sneaker sellers out there, if you're a seller, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers $100 and up. Make it a free to sell or flip your collection. Go to ebay.com slash sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. That's eBay.
0: Yeah. It's um, when, when I wake up and after I get, a self-care piece of the run done or the workout give me a standard run in the
1: morning how far are you going if you're um, running 100 so, milers
0: well so 100 mile training I mean you're going to run a marathon on like a Saturday and you're going to run a marathon on Sunday and you do back to back marathons and you're going to be ready gotcha um, so during quarantine I even had a buddy during quarantine when that all started I started training and so every Saturday became like a really long run so I mean there were 20 mile runs that were just for a Saturday morning, right? Just to do it. Um, so, this, like on Saturday this weekend, will be so training for an ultra is coming up. Um, that'll be probably 23 miles, but it'll be yeah. on the trails, it'll be in the mountains. Oh, okay. Uh, but then, I mean, to tell you what, that cup of coffee when you're done tastes so good.
1: <laughs> do, you, do you eat before the cup of coffee? Do you eat before the run or you just yeah, wake little, up and go? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah? yeah. What do you have? Uh, I usually just have a that's it. Yeah. Twenty-three miles. What's it? Three hours, three and a half.
0: It depends on the mountains, man. Mountains and terrain change everything. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh,
1: if it was just flat, yeah. But um,
0: I usually have like, uh, you know, I have hydration, so I'll have like some calories in that. Yeah. Um,
1: it's funny. I wrote a post this morning talking about because I have a lot of people that follow me that want to figure out how to lose weight. Yeah. Or how to return to something that resembles health. And I had some guys out of the football field last night. Yeah. You know, they're trying to lose weight, and they go, should I run? And I'm like, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> no because, because you're not in a good position to run, yeah. right? Like your body's not set up to run in its current state. Let's, let's taper you down quite a bit, and then maybe you can get back to running. But at the place you're at now, you're just putting a crazy amount of exponential stress on your joints,
0: yeah.
1: and you're setting yourself up for injury. How do you feel? How's How's the body? Do you feel it? I mean, uh, well,
0: when I get injured, it, it, yeah, I
1: feel it. Yeah. It doesn't bounce back.
0: Um, about self-care. Because how old are you? 44. Yeah. Yeah. So I, mean, I got a massage therapist. I'll go every every two weeks. Closer you get to it, it's every week. Yeah. I mean, got to. I have to. You yeah. got to maintain that. And then what's, what's
1: the diet like? You can diet? kind of eat what you want if yeah. you're running that many miles. I
0: think so, man. But I'm... I'm really disciplined in all areas. Yeah. I mean, I have my demons that I deal with, but um, I'm, I'm still eating healthy, man. I mean, yes. my cheat
1: meal is going to be maybe like a big breakfast after
0: 23 miles.
1: Right. Um, yeah, I always think that when I'm – I don't run anymore because my body is just a mess. I've got no meniscus in my left knee. I've had 11 surgeries. I just – it's not happening. Every time I do try to run, I jack my back up, I pop a rib out of place, my hips throbbing. And like sounds like fun. It's Yeah, <laughs> yeah we're just getting started, man. And so I, I don't do that anymore. But when I was running, so when I first retired, it was six years ago now, I was trying to run a marathon. I got up to like 11 miles. All I could think about from mile one through mile 11 was a cheeseburger. I'm like just give me a cheeseburger and pancakes. And oh, yeah. it was just like, all I could think about was food. I was like, that's just awful. That is awful for it And then I was popping ibuprofen again. And that was the moment where, when I was laying in bed throbbing and I was thinking about popping ibuprofen after I'd been on them for like 15 straight years, college ball, NFL. And I had just put them down yet. Like six months later here, I am picking them back up. I'm like, dude, you're, you're not working in the right direction. Yeah, You're working against what you're, trying to accomplish here. Let's minimize damage. But kudos to you. I've had great ambition. I see the Man shirt. And I'm like, God, I wish I would have done that in my life or run a marathon, but next life.
0: But I'll, I mean, I'll get you on the
1: next go around. But,
0: but, I mean, my thing was, is, you know, I mean, I was a knucklehead in, in high school.
1: You know what I mean? I mean, I got into
0: partying, and it blew college away. Yeah. So, you know, I blew it. So, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of emotional damage and pain there that i had to come to terms with but if it wasn't for that um you know because how many swimmers do you run into that nah, i'm never swimming again right is that really a victory
1: You're, uh, you know yes, for their life exactly and so it was only that um you yeah, know, like they couldn't wait to get done with it yeah i've had buddies in the nfl that said i have never lifting another weight in my life and i thought
0: man that's yeah. a
1: disastrous thing to talk about right now right 26 man. years old
0: and it's like you know, so you go one or two directions, and you know, I mean, I fell off a cliff and almost died, and you know, one of Lance—you actually fell off, off a cliff, fell off an eighty-foot cliff. Yeah, I was in college, and that's kind of what ended baseball. And wow, again, I said I got into partying, so yeah, I wasn't pushed. I wasn't. I didn't jump. I just had no idea where I was. No kidding. And um, you know, Lance Armstrong had a pretty epic quote, and he just said, "Look, if you ever get a second chance in life, you got to go all the way." And so when I was given a second chance, hey, um, I wasn't going to blow it. And I'm all about just squeezing the nectar out of life. So where'd as much you go from can. there?
1: College baseball player, and then what happened after that?
0: Well, you know what happens when you get a lot of pain, emotional and then physical. Well, you you get rid of that pain. So I mean, I kept drinking, kept yeah. using, um, and you know, i then I was in a drunk driving accident, single car accident. But yeah, I man, I could have hurt somebody else. And um, you know, it was that that was the moment there was that the, was the wake up like, call. It's like, what are you doing? And um, it. Uh, yeah, I, I was smart, so I was intelligent, so I was able to get by on the intelligence piece. Yes. Um, but it was and I, I knew early on in college what it was I was gonna do was work with athletes and teams on sports psychology. So I was kinda blessed in that regard. Um, but then I mean it was just a journey, man. You know, but it was six years sober, uh, back in February. So
1: a lot of smart people struggle.
0: It's uh we think that it's like you have this garden and the garden is just gonna be great all the time. But the garden goes through seasons as well. And you got to pick those weeds, man. And, you know, you got to keep up with the garden. And the yeah. Same thing with our mind. It's, there are going to be a lot of dark periods through life. And it's just how we deal with that stuff. Yeah. Then it's getting back to have we created the network of people around us that we can turn to
1: during those times. Yeah, it's interesting. I was out for a walk yesterday and the weather here in Indiana started to shift a little bit and it's gone from summer to fall. And it feels like winter's coming and all that. And I just kind of had like a, somber moment I guess kind of a melancholy moment and I used to go through more extended funks especially in probably years one through five-ish of being out but now I just understand them as being normal and nothing's wrong I don't have to worry about my brain or the CTE or anything like that we all have that everybody goes through those days weeks hours whatever they end up being Part of it for me is just recognizing that, oh, wow, I'm having a I'm having a down moment here. I feel a little somber. I feel melancholy or whatever. And then once I acknowledge it and understand too that it's going away because it always goes away. And realizing that, And then it goes away even faster. It kind of dissolves that d- little minor blip of depression or whatever. It Absolutely, is.
0: man. I always say a problem shared becomes half a problem. You know, it's not always, it's kind of what you did, though. I mean, being able to acknowledge it, man. That's part about being able to share it with somebody.
1: Right. Yeah,
0: that's interesting. Being able to verbalize what the fear is or what's bothering me, it takes away its power. Yes.
1: And And that's, that's too true what they say about coaching. So I've heard there's great technique coaches and there's great scientists and there's great, but a real coach can identify what somebody's going through and get them to express that to them. And when they do, and I guess it's back to your point, is a problem shared is half a problem. Because now I get to, along with you, carry part of that burden or the energy that you're feeling or whatever that is. I think that's really powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool stuff right there. Yeah, I like that.
0: Like I said, I got plenty of
1: them. Yeah. So you're working with... PGA guys,
0: mm-hmm.
1: what's that like? It's a great office, man. Is it? Oh, just great. being out there, so you get to go to the actual courses. Yeah,
0: and even when you know when uh, COVID hit and everything was shut down, um, you know PGA Tour is first back. Yes, and yeah, that's the most set up for. And now there's no no fans, which on one hand you know stinks, but on the other hand, I mean you can navigate and I mean I got to follow Tiger, Rory, and Brooks. At a tournament, you can
1: never do that. It's impossible. Because you're a
0: coach. Well, it's just you just can't get
1: close. I mean, yes. they're just so mobbed. You know, but t- you were able to be there because you're a coach. You're a part of the program. Oh, yeah. I was able to follow them around. But the fans aren't there. And, you're not right. six deep. Yeah, exactly. Listening to the guy go, Go in the hole. Yeah, <laughs> right. I became that guy. <laughs> no, like, I would never be that guy. Like you can't do that. Yeah. It's like well, let me see your badge here. Yeah, we're going to take that away from you. What What's that like? What do those guys go through?
0: I mean, everybody deals with the same thing. I think it's just kind of at a different level. Yes. You know, and it's uh, you know somebody always wants something from them. You know, I've always tried to be apt, They never ask for anything. Yeah. They always want something from them, and. You know, I think it's always a little bit of suspicious of where are people kind of coming from, you know in terms of like what do they want right um I think at like the highest level even if it, they
1: do want help, even if they do or want to help,
0: yeah, I mean it's because they're at them all the time I mean yes. you know you know
1: what it's like I mean soon
0: they're
1: mm-hmm. um, yeah, always um, very skeptical, yeah, yeah, to um, let people in um
0: and that's why I mean the best part is just developing relationships with the players and go along with you know in life and uh, the ups and the downs, man. Yeah, um, I think great great coaches they don't ride that roller coaster. They kind of ride that carousel. They kind of stay even keel as much as they can. That's gotcha. what great caddies do, and uh, it's just being a
1: part of the team of those players, man. That's that's so cool. Do you work with the caddies as well, of mm-hmm. how to help them navigate while they're out yeah? Doing I their mean, thing? it's it's
0: definitely with the player first and foremost, yes. but it is with the caddy, you know, because it's it's having the conversation, seeing what they're thinking about things and being about. all it is is asking them questions too. Right. You know, Um, and it's, it's team. It's
1: such an interesting thing though. Golf different from other sports. I always liken it to kickers. We talked about this a little before we started recording is you have that one moment and they do get into flow and they get into a rhythm. And if they're playing fast enough, they get up and do their thing. And But still, in the real tense moments, like an NFL kicker, you come out, and you're either going to do it or you're not. And this is the one ball that you get to kick, and you don't get a redo, and the ball's not going to come back to you like it may in soccer if you miss something, and it's a flowy sport like hockey or basketball or whatever. You have this moment. How do we train for that moment? Because we do get moments in life. Yeah, I was watching the debate the other night, and I was just like, thinking about it, and I was thinking more from not being one of the presidents, which I don't think anybody would actually choose to do in life. Not not very many people will want to, but I was thinking about it from the moderator's perspective, and this is a huge moment for him, right? This is him standing over the ball, and he's got the, it was a little longer in a three-foot putt, but he's got quite the putt ahead of him. And how do I relax into those moments? Or how have I, pre- how does he prepare to handle all of that? And I know it's a life's work for him and he's in his sixties and I get that, but still a big moment. Yeah. And I'm sure he's still nervous as hell.
0: I'm hoping he's excited, you know? Okay. And that the difference between being nervous and being excited is I want to be in this situation or I don't. Okay. You know, some, some people want, want that kick. You know, Adam Vinatieri wanted that moment. He wanted that kick. Yes. You know, Gostowski wants that moment, and a lot of people don't want him. And a lot of people want safety. They don't want that shot, buddy. I want the shot. You know, I know I'm going to fail, and that part's okay, right? That's, I think. But once you get past that, like it's, you've already they've already failed before, and I think it's like. You know, was there a coach that come alongside and be like, look, you're going to get another opportunity. How are you going to deal with this? How are you going to deal with this setback? Yeah. What I believe, right, puke and rally, it's not about the setback. It's about the comeback. Yes. It's going to be about the next kick. But, you know, back to the original point, we can't make situations bigger than what they really are. Right. Because once we start making them bigger than what they really are – then it becomes bigger than what it is. We gotta yes. keep the picture so small. It's getting back to the fundamentals, it's getting back to our training, and trusting our training. And, and then are we creating training like it is a game situation? So it's like if we could, if we could practice like we've never won, like we've never made a kick before, what would that what would that approach be in practice? And then if we play like we've never lost, what's your approach gonna be running out to kick that? You know? Wow, okay. And so a lot of times we switch it up, right? Well, we prepare like we're the best ever, man, not a problem. And then we're running out there, and then the doubts are kicking in. So the doubts, no matter what, are going to be there. But it's like, have we prepared for that situation? That uh, Am I going to be listening to myself, or am I going to be telling myself what I'm going to be doing in this situation?
1: If we practice like we've never won. Practice like you never won. Like... We'll play like you've never lost. And, you know, it's... It's funny, I think the New England Patriots do this better than any team's ever done it in the history of sports. I think the way that Belichick handles wins and handles losses is so spot on, where after a win, he's very, from all the guys that I've talked to who have been in that program, he will ride their asses. And he's very hard on them. And he will point out all the things that they did wrong that could have potentially cost them. Yep. And then they get back to practice knowing how they could have lost. But then they play with that confidence that they've, they're going to win the game. Yeah. And it's just such a wonderful thing. And I think that to me is when I think about great coaches, they nail that part. And it's against, I feel like, human nature to do that. To Prepare like you've never won, but to play like you've never lost. I think that's completely against human nature.
0: And that's the part where it's getting back to men you know, are recreating that adversity, you know, in, in our life on a daily basis and how we're competing against ourselves.
1: Yeah. We're always competing against ourselves. And that's the most difficult opponent. That's and that's what it takes so long to learn, right? It takes it took an entire sports career playing on teams and competing against other individuals to figure out that that's just the conduit to compete with yourself, Mm -hmm. to figure out how to get one day better. And then thankfully I got to do it long enough to actually have that message sink in. It's like, Oh, it doesn't matter who the nose guard is. It's how I perform. It's the way I approach the week or the months leading up to this one contest. It's all about you. It's just, it's a, it's a really hard concept to get you and I wish you could just and that's one of the things with the kids is like I wish I could just gift you this. Mm-hmm. This is you against you, but they think it's them in a conquest against another child or another kid when they get older or whatever comes down the line. It's it's you against you. Is it possible to give that? How can we how can we teach that? I mean, it's a a
0: lifestyle. I think it's, you know, the foundation is the values we have. And it's just, it's being able to figure out what it is that they want. Mm -hmm. And what I think we do is I think what has changed is sometimes now we prepare the path for the child instead of preparing the child for the path. Yes. You know, it we try to make like the path that. easier. Man. That's right. You know, yeah, don't worry about that. Smooth coach, it out for them. Yeah, man, well, if Coach were throwing you a ball, or, you know, he would have caught that, or,
1: you know, yeah, he had
0: a, he had a bad break, you know, or, or the refs were horrible. We deflect all that stuff. And, you know, it, it's not me, it's you. You know, and then we're in a blame culture all the time. And we are there's in a blame no, There's no responsibility. Yeah, we there's are no. in a
1: blame culture. People love to blame other people for the way that they're currently feeling or living our... And,
0: and once that sits in a little bit, then it becomes infectious. Then there's a the cancer, and now we got to treat the cancer. You know, then we're trying to undo a lot of things. Where yes. If it's like it's uh, like you said, man. It's how? What's the goal, and how? How are you getting towards that? You know, the thing is about like parents. Um, it's multiple conversations, not just one. Oh yeah. And so it's multiple conversations, and I've had it like with my daughter. It's just what? What is it that you want? Like you know, well, I you know, I'd like this. Well, that tells me, okay, well, that's, that's cool. Right. It's fine. You it's don't fine. need to want it. Yeah. Cause I'm not going to want it more than you. And it's being, Hey, we're just going to have fun with this and relax. And this is going to be all recreation for you.
1: Yes. And I think that's and important. Then, and then the approach is different. Yes. Now I'm not
0: going to get stressed out every time you're. That's true. You know, not it's, doing it's
1: true. Cause I watch kids who, you know, their expectation is wildly low and their parents' expectation is low, but they're also having a hell of a time. Yeah. And for me, for me, part of me is like, Jesus, man, just lower your expectations of the situation, and and everyone will be happier. And that's, I guess, what I'm trying to give to my kids is, but again, there's part of me that feels like you only get to the level that you expect to get to. True. And I don't know if that's, you th- you believe in that?
0: Yeah, I think um, y- y- to a point. Yes. And the reason why is because, you know, if you ask Herschel Walker, I mean, he said, well, my whole goal was just to make it to Atlanta. I mean, he just wanted to get out of that small town he was at. Right. How many Hall of Famers say, you know, Curtis Martin, never, never in a million years I think I was going to make Hall of Fame.
1: Yeah. Well, like, what was the focus? I had no on? ambition to be an NFL football player. Yeah. Jerry, I just thought yeah. I was going to get a better seat on the sidelines yeah, Jerry, when walked Jer- on.
0: Yeah. Jerry Rice, you know, I thought, man, I'm, you know, I'm, I, got a, I got a one year, two years tops. Rolling yeah.
1: Stones. You know, I
0: said, well, we got two years as a band, so let's just have fun and make it work. Yeah. So, where was the focus? The focus was on um, today. It was on this week. It was just on this moment. This moment. And that's all it was. And that's where, like, I think the real. Power gets in that, so you, yeah, you got to have that vision, but it sits there. Yes. And every day, you're not on, you know, you're not kicking a field goal for the Super Bowl today. What, what's the fundamentals we're working on? So it's like it's it's always just getting back to that moment.
1: Yeah, but it is that the visions out there, the dreams mm-hmm. out there. Of course, probably like every other boy that is involved in sports, I wanted to be a pro athlete of some type. When it's baseball season, I wanted to be Ryan Sandberg. When it's football, I thought it was Jerry Rice and. Yeah. When it was whatever other season, that's who I was and what I wanted to be. But of course, life gets in the way and you're wrestling, you know, and it's like, and then all of a sudden you're on a football team. And then it's like, oh, that dream gets sparked again. But to the point, it's like, don't put everything into that dream. Also, just work on the task at hand.
0: And so, how, all it is. how do
1: I get marginally better today?
0: That's all it is. And then we're competing in everything that we do yeah All Right. can i write this sentence just a little bit better than what i did you know can i make this workout just a little bit better hey run one-tenth better hey can i make this kick a little bit better right and then now then we're being creative with how we're getting better and competing against myself yes and i know whether or not i did or i didn't there's going to be failures and then it's like okay well where what, what does my mindset need to be but i think we
1: can compete in everything that we're doing and do you think and i do hear people talk about this it's like how you do one thing is how you do everything oh yeah i agree with that do you yeah yeah most of the,
0: most of the time when oh, i sorry.
1: get when i get off the field i don't feel like a very competitive person any longer i yeah. just i don't i feel very and maybe this is me trying not to be competitive anymore but i don't feel wildly competitive just outwardly anymore it's all inward it's all how am i going to get better but as far as competing with others i don't feel like i am competing with others
0: that's where i think it is you know if you can compete against yourself the most difficult opponent that's where the competition always needs to be yeah and when we keep it focused on that the thing that we get rid of is not caring what the hell other people think that's true I mean, do you know how many college athletes man work with and it's getting back to what other people think about them? That's what really what's what the deal is. That's what's driving them. That drives them, but it hinders them at the same time because mm-hmm. I care so much about what coach thinks about me. Yeah. That they're getting away from this is about you and your journey. You know mm-hmm. what I
1: mean? Every time you make a mistake, you're looking at coach or you're thinking about what they're going to say on your Twitter or Instagram account. Exactly, or say, man,
0: I, 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 instead I of just yeah.
1: going, why did I mess up and how do I not mess up next time? Yeah.
0: And I love this one, right? Cause I believe like they don't boo nobodies. If they boo you, you're doing something right. Cause yeah. you're not talking about the dude who finished in 35th place. You're talking about the kicker that lost the game. You're, you're not talking about, that's you're true. talking about the guy who missed the putt that could have won it. You're not talking about the dude that's 50th. Right. So, they don't boo nobody. So whenever you are doing something worthwhile in life, there is going to be that criticism. And that's the piece worth getting back to. You got to welcome that criticism, man, because that means you're doing something good. And there's always going to be haters, right?
1: Yeah, always.
0: And this is the one that I love. It's like never take advice from someone who, you, who you'd never take criticism from. You know, it's the same thing, man. And it it's yes. like, we care too much about what people yeah, think. and vice it's, versa, right? Never it is, take man.
1: criticism from somebody that you wouldn't take advice from. Right, and I yeah. think that's probably the right yeah. quote. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't, yeah, don't. Know, I'm what? not letting you give me advice, right? It's, yeah. yeah, that totally
0: makes sense. And... Um, how many people have opinions? That's why I think the critic doesn't count. Uh, sports media gets blown out. They've got to have one take that's yes. so outrageous.
1: Oh, it's got to be so polarizing. Otherwise, it just doesn't capture yeah. a headline and it's not Instagram worthy. It's not Facebook. It's, so you just scroll past it. It's. Yeah. What a world we live in, huh? I mean. <laughs> it is, man. What, what a why, world yeah. we live and in. That's
0: why it's getting back to uh, your journey, what you're doing, and where you want to go. Yes. And. Boy, there's going to be failures along that way, but that's the only way to get to that point. And some people want to be safe; they don't want to live that kind of life. I'm not yes. like that, man. I, I know. I still want that shot. Put, put yourself put out there. on. there. Put me on that stage, man.
1: Yeah, and that's I love that. I still like it. I still get excited, and it's like part of it is just the excitement. Is yeah. I've, I've identified it as feeling alive. It is, man. Like, it's, I, a, it's a life source. It's like when when I was playing. I felt plugged into the universe. Like, I'm on. We're on now. Like, this is real life. And everything else was just kind of preparation for this moment. And that's the best, man. Isn't it the best? It is. I mean, I feel it. And that's why I do those races, too. Because
0: obviously, it's not like crowds, but you're pushing yourself. You're cheering on other people along with you, man. I I stop in every race, man. I'm just like, you know, saying a prayer. Because I'm like, this is so thankful to be able to do this stuff,
1: man. Yeah, you have to. There has to come a moment when you're running. 50 milers 100 milers ironman that you feel in awe.
0: yeah and that's where it's it's getting back
1: to you
0: know can i help somebody else out like in this race you know word of encouragement yes that and that's where um come focus on other people helping other people that's what really lasts man yeah like and i always ask and i'm glad i'm glad i'm interviewing you but uh Every pro athlete says the same thing. Like, what do you think about when your playing days are done? What do you think about?
1: When my playing
0: days are done? Yeah, when, you're playing, when you reflect on your career, what do you think about? Like what are a couple of things?
1: You mostly think, I mostly think of, there's a couple of moments that I reflect on that were the worst moments of my career that yeah. have been the best moments of my life. Because I learned the most in, a sh- in the shortest amount of time possible. They were the worst moments. At the time, I thought, I'm never going to get over this moment. But they've made me the man that I am. Yeah. Every lesson that I've learned that was harsh, that hurt, that stung, that left me on the couch or at home just wallowing around and waiting to read the bad news clippings the next day or watch the film with the team and just be crushed in front of all those men. Those were the moments, or the injuries. The injuries were other huge ones where you're just completely humbled. Those were the ones that taught me everything I need to know about life. Yeah,
0: and that's the that's the beauty
1: about life. And right? then because a the couple worst, of worst moments are the best. And then a couple of great moments. Yeah. And then a couple of fun moments where you were just as high on life as you could possibly be on any drug that has ever been drugged up. Yeah, and there's there's a couple of moments that. I felt like my body was going to implode and I was just going to turn into stardust. It's cool, man. And I couldn't get my clothes off. I just wanted to get naked. Yeah. Right. Like we beat the Colts in 2008. We were four and eight. We were awful. We just had, we weren't an awful team. We were a good team. We were playing really poorly and we couldn't get it together. We went on a string at the end of the season. We ended eight and eight. We beat the Denver Broncos at home to make it to the playoffs. And then we played the Colts in San Diego and beat them in overtime that. on a walk-off Darren Sproles touchdown run. And I couldn't, I couldn't breathe. I didn't know what to do. It was the oh I felt like a child again, but I felt like I was gonna explode and I just wanted my clothes off. I just didn't I just couldn't it was too overwhelming for me. And so when I think everything after that moment was just chasing to feel like that one more time. Yeah. And I never got it. Yeah, But I never, I'll never forget it. It's good, man. But then the other bad moments, the devastating moments, those are the ones that, that felt good, that was cool. I'll never get it again. However, the bad moments, they lasted.
0: Yeah. Do you think about uh, the bus rides in the locker room more than anything,
1: the relationships? I think about the meeting rooms. Mm-hmm. I think about the meeting rooms a lot. I love the meetings. I loved strategizing. I loved watching film and picking apart their defense and finding one little cue that was going to let me know where they were blitzing from and we're going to have them and we're going to be able to call the perfect play and we're going to get a touchdown and when it worked and you just look back at Phil and I would just like fist pump and be like, Yeah, boy, we did it! Like all those hours paid off. And then there was a couple of bus rides that were quite fun. Yeah, yeah. we beat Denver in Denver, and it was the funniest bus ride I've ever been on in my life. I mean, we were just, it was two hours of a riot, going to the airport, sitting there waiting, but we had to wait for like two hours. It was just, some of those moments you'll never forget. Yeah. Yeah. Because
0: the reason why I bring that up is because, man, most of what I've always heard has always been, man, you think about the locker room, you think about the bus rides, you think about those
1: relationships yeah you know stuff you reflect on and yeah then the moments yeah yeah and and most guys that i've talked to feel the same way they feel like they the moments they think about of course they they'll say like if they won the super bowl when we win the super bowl of course it's like that was the moment that i had was i didn't need the super bowl to feel like i had won it because that was we came from so low we were a dumpster fire and then we were on top of the world we didn't have to win any more games that year. We yeah. had won our little Super Bowl. But in that, it was the adversity that you overcame, though, that made it so worthwhile. That made it so special. You know. That's right.
0: That's that's the piece.
1: Yes. I mean, yeah, that is that is it. You
0: know, when you're down 21-10, you come back and win, man. It's
1: like, yeah, and it gotta feels good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So,
0: sorry for the tangent,
1: man. No, no, no. I I do. I greatly appreciate the tangent. It's hey, we're just having a conversation, yeah. right? I, I always. It's not that serious, (laughs) right? Like we take it seriously. It's not that serious. So it's just two dudes talking. How do you get the guys ready for the putt? Like the one putt? Um, What do you you want their head to be like coming into that play? So
0: one of the things that I'll have my players do is whenever you leave the golf course, you make one 10-foot putt. So you're always making a 10-foot putt. It's the last thing you do. but so, oh, cool. so if it takes you six tries, it takes you six tries. Right? Cool, yeah. But what you do in that, that putt is you go through your routine. So you know what that routine is. So when that moment hits, when you're going to have that six-footer, that 10-footer, you get back to your routine and you focus on that process. That's cool. Because it's not building it up. It's getting back to your level of training.
1: I like that. Yeah, that's cool. That's it, and it totally makes sense. I used to, when I was a kid playing basketball, it's like I had to hit 10 free throws straight before I could walk inside. Yeah, it's a good one. Same kind of thing, right? Yep. It's
0: and then how were you when you shot a regular free throw?
1: Good, you know, yeah, yeah, because you had your process down. Yep, yeah, so that's like the that. So, no matter what it takes, your however many putts it takes could take 20 on a given day. I'm sure yeah. for these guys, it doesn't take that, did doesn't take 20 very often but you're walking out with a good feeling and, and then, you feel that last one.
0: Yeah. And that's the moment you're going to have. Yeah. And what I want your first thought going to, man, I am doing this all the time. And then it's getting back to that routine. Yeah. Cause that's what I think that, I mean, you have in those moments is no matter what, you're going to have that routine that you fall back on. Yes.
1: Yeah. And then you just has to be that process and do you, when they're going through it, are they thinking about the mechanics of it, the feel of it? Or is that just all on them? I
0: think a lot of times, I mean, I don't really think they get I, – I don't think we operate our best when we think about mechanics. I think we operate best when we have kind of that external focus a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, if it comes to the minutia of putting, I think there's two types of putters, those that just try to make it yeah. and those that just – man, all I'm trying to do is start it online. So there's that piece. Gotcha. But I don't really think – we do our best when we're trying to make everything
1: perfect Yeah, because then you're a robot you're mechanical it's
0: not flowing it's not free it's you know it's getting better the process it's seeing the line and you know you
1: you get so dialed in at that point where it's just
0: you know natural
1: yeah so the book title puke and rally yeah man it's it's really funny when we were in college and we were doing (laughs) we were doing 6 a.m. workouts in the spring it was like our it was Flat out just toughness training because it wasn't actually good for us other than becoming tougher men and waking up early and getting the work done and getting beat like dogs and being able to be resilient and all that, right? So other than that component, there was nothing positive happening in that 6 to 7.30 window. They would try to make you puke. They would do their best to make you miserable, to get you to quit. Guys, multiple guys quit. During the whole affair, it's six weeks, it's four days a week, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. They could call you back for a fifth if you didn't do well in one in the morning. So they could bring you back on Wednesday. But that's what we would say when guys would head to the trash can. It's puke and rally, man. That's it. Puke and rally. Yeah. What <laughs> it what is it? Describe it for people. Because I in my head, I hear it and I'm like, yeah. well, yeah, it's like I completely understand what we're talking about here. So it's um, so it's not that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's not how to it's not how to extend our weekend celebrations. It's not how to get like our athletes tougher. Right. But it's the fact that we have all puked. Everybody listening to this has puked. Yeah, it's not fun. Um, but did you know this too? That not all animals can can puke. Like rats lack the inability to throw up. That's why rat poison is so effective. Oh no, kidding! Because yeah. they
1: can't get rid of it.
0: Yeah, they can't. So, I mean, sometimes, like, you know, it saves our lives. And we get a toxin yes. in us or something. So,
1: I little funny story before you go yeah. completely into it. I threw up before every game that I ever played. I put that in the book, man. Not your story. But, every game. And it, it showed you what? You were ready? I knew I was ready. Yeah. And, and then eventually everybody else on the team knew I was ready, too. They were right. like, all right, Nick's ready to go. Yeah, exactly. I didn't have to stretch. It was I threw up. I was good. My body was coursing.
0: And and that's that's part of it, right? I mean, it's you know, so there's so much that goes into the fact that we've all puked. So in life, we're gonna puke, man. Yeah, we're gonna have setbacks. (laughs) We're gonna have failure, and really delve into. And I can tell a story about why that title. But it's then what what does it take to really rally? Yeah, you know, you got to have confidence. You got to have that connection with other people. And not everybody rallies. Everybody pukes, but not everybody rallies. So what is what are the components that go into it? And that's the belief. It's it's always the subtitle, right? It's like, you know, it's puking around. It's not about the setback. It's always about the comeback. Yeah. Um, do you want me to share why the title got? Yes. There? All yeah. right. So, um, so there was my first ultra I was gonna do, and you know, no one gets there alone. I, I wrote on that, but it was, um, I, I kind of did these races early on without with very little training. Okay. You know, because I was like, the only thing I gotta do is just keep moving, and I can do it. And there was a couple components going into this ultra that it was springtime, that there was no, uh, there's no spring. It just went from here. It went from winter to 86 degrees the day of the race. Exactly. Longest. I mean, the warmest it was in the training run was 45. Oh goodness. So it was super hot. Uh, the other one was I had a calf injury kind of heading in and I didn't, okay. I didn't rest enough. And then the third one was, this was Hills and here in, Indianapolis, there's not a lot of hills.
1: <laughs> no, we got we got smoothed over by the glaciers.
0: And so this was uh this was a 50k, super hot, super hilly. Yeah, and uh, warning lights started to kind of go off in my race that hey, we're we're starting to have some shutdown here, Rob, we're starting to have some trouble. Yeah, and so I make it to mile 20 of the race, and I kind of had it in my head where it was like, you know, I was walking a lot more, really hot, man, not feeling good. When I get to this Aid station at these ultra marathons, it's like a it's like a tailgate. You can have anything you want. The alcohol may or may not even be there, right? Like, but other than that, you can have anything you want to eat. So I show up. I'm like, man, I need to get myself back to neutral, feel better, right? So I'm gonna have some of that. uh, Obviously, some of that water, some of that Gatorade, but that Coke looks good. Let's have some of that Mountain Dew too. Oh yeah. And then food wise, boy, the fig newtons look good. Let's have some of those crackers. Boy, the M and M's look great. Oh, let's top that off with some Twizzlers. Like everything
1: I could take in turned into a kid's buffet.
0: It was. Yeah. I was like, this is what's going to make me feel better. So I take like 15 minutes a little longer than I wanted, but all right, let's go. I'm going to see my family at five miles away, which the laws of physics tell us, like, if you go all the way down to the bottom of the mountain, you're gonna have to come back. up. That's right. Next mile was all the way down. The rest was ultimately coming back up. And I mean, it was tough, man. And, um, when i went down another mile then it was like uh all right man you you gotta throw up and i'm sitting kind of on the side you know racers are passing they always ask you the same thing like are you okay i'm fine, I'm fine. Yeah. i just need to throw up so i throw up and i feel better for like 30 seconds you know and then it was like there's just this isn't good um and this is how bad off i was i had one more hill to climb probably 800 yards and i was going to see them at the next aid station all i got to do is see my family short-term goal right right they're down at the bottom because something's the matter with daddy. Like, he's not here yet. Like, what happened?
1: Yeah, what's going so on? So, they're
0: down at the bottom of this hill. Oh, all I got to do is walk with them. I couldn't even keep up with my kids, man. I had to stop every hundred yards, get on my knees. And, like, I was waiting. When I get up to the top, everything comes up. And it's projectile, yeah. right? I mean, it's everything. And I was like, oh, God, I feel so much better. I try to have some Gatorade. And the second that Gatorade hits my stomach, it's coming Gone. up. And then... So now we're in trouble, right? Now it's like. Now the alarms are really going Yeah, I've I've got the chills and it's 86 degrees out. Yep. And I'm throwing up. And then the sky opens up and it it just starts dumping. Not where in like 10 seconds you're completely soaked. So again, my wife and kids were going to be there. We retreat to the car. So I'm opening up the back car door, sitting in the back seat, puking, closing the car door, looking at my kids who are just crying. <laughs> no, they, have, they have no idea what's the matter with you. And I can't really well, answer. What's going on with dad here? My wife gets back in the car. She's now soaked. And she says, I told him you're dropping out. Now, in our family, again, I had 10 more miles to go. In our family, we, you know, one of the cornerstones is you don't give up. And so on the way back, and I couldn't really argue with her at that point, but on the way back to the cabin of where we're staying, I heard my son ask my wife, you mean daddy had to quit? And then that voice was in my head. We get back to the cabin, you know, now i got the dry heaves, still got the chills, try to take a shower. They go out to eat, I kind of pass out. They come back, I wake up, they take a nap. And now my son's voice is back in my head. Like what? Like, we don't quit, man. Like, what do you mean you quit? I kind of have some water, and then I start eating a little bit of this chicken finger that they brought back, Yeah, and that stays down. And then I start thinking to myself, and one of, the, one of my early athletes said, like, we didn't come here to paint. And that just meant, like, we came here to do a job. Right. I went, and I kind of woke my wife up, and I said, we're going back to finish. So it's probably an hour and a half after all this ordeal has happened. I get back there, and the race is still going. Now it's complete quagmire out there all mud but i said man i'm checking back in and check back in and finish the race nice now i've got a record because i guarantee nobody's going to beat how slow that record was (laughs) but no i mean you could walk the whole thing and probably finish because there was you know hour and a half two hour hiatus but the key was that i finished yes and that's what mattered and you know then it was thinking about that and that was the lesson man it was puke and rally no matter what it takes yeah and there were people that got upset. They said, Man, like your health was in danger. And the answer is yes. And I'm not saying that's for everybody. Right. What I'm saying is, is that's our philosophy that when you start it, you're gonna finish it. That's right. But once you remove, and so then in real life, once you remove that plan B, it just makes your plan A more solidified. See, I think a lot of times we got that plan B, we got that other option. It's you can a safety have, net. And I can take that. Yeah. You remove that safety net. Now you're on that high wire. Well, you're going to be the best walker there is because yes. you have no other option. And that's the point where I think, man, it gets, then it's everything that goes into puking and in rallying and what it takes. Yeah. And that's,
1: that's how the story got written. That's why the title there. And then did your son talk to you about it? Have you talked to him about it? So, Because obviously those words hurt. Yeah. This is how, you know, the next year we were
0: all doing a 5K, school 5K, and we were all sick. But we're all going to do it. Yes. He... And I don't mean to gross anybody out. He pooped his pants in the middle of this run, this 5K. Daddy's doing the 10K. Yeah. And he finished. And that, that's why I was so proud of him because I said, buddy, it's not about that. It's about that you finished. And, you know, it, that's the lesson that, you know, sport can provide for us, right? Yeah. And it's – that's the part that's so um, – you know, every race that I'm going to be entering, man, I don't care what it takes, I'm going to finish. Yeah. And – um I just think Yeah, there is no other option. There's not.
1: A, I mean, the decision's made before you start. And
0: once we know that, um, then it just becomes strategies on what we need to do and how we need to stay in the Yeah. And how can th- we you know, get there? If don't a, eat
1: Skittles or Twizzlers or Fig Newtons or Mountain Dew or Coke or. <laughs> tell you what, man. Don't. You know. Make yeah. sure you got that
0: plan. I learned a lot of lessons there too. But it's like, um, you now. Now they have that lesson with me because they got it as
1: well. Oh, that's fantastic. Dr. Rob Bell.
0: Oh, man. Thanks, buddy.
1: Thank you, brother. Yeah. Are we going to be able to give that book away? A copy? Oh, we're going to give that away. Yeah. So Got I will it. figure that out. As we release the podcast, we will... PukenRallyBook.com. PukenRallyBook.com. That's the website. And right? where can people find you? Thank you for the reminder, by the
0: way. Yeah. Website's DrRobBell.com. All one word. D R R O B B E L L. But uh, Twitter is probably my ADD. That's just at Dr. Rob Bell or Instagram. Okay. Yeah, I'm on that a lot.
1: Doc. Yeah. Awesome stuff. Yeah, thanks so much, bro. Glad to have sure, you. Man. Glad to live in the same area with you. Everybody yeah, here, a lot of folks that I talk to, highly recommend it oh, you. Oh, nice, man. I, I nice. see why. That means a lot, man. Yes, so thank you. Thank you, buddy. All right, brother. You spend the first hour of your vacation at the luggage carousel thinking there's nowhere to go but up. But there is a place to go but up. Because when you open your suitcase, you find it filled with dolls.
0: Dolls like the ones in that movie that scared you so much you wet your girlfriend's bed. Ah, Marissa, the one that got away. You return the bag to the airport with relief. It lasts until you get back to your room, where a fallen doll waits to greet you. Don't let a suitcase full of dolls ruin your vacation. Go on a real vacation. GoRVing.com.